The first Bible reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, and that can be found on page 181 in the Church Bible. So that's page 181, chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Um, the second Bible reading is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And that can be found on page 1046 in the Church Bible. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying... Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed, on by, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He, had compassion. he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him on and, to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, do you think, proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go, you go and do likewise. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, let me add my welcome. My name is Andy, and I'm a pastor here, so if I haven't met you, I'd love to chat afterwards. 
Um, how about I pray? Heavenly Father, this is just such a familiar passage. And uh, Father, we pray that we would not assume we know what it means, but that we would let your spirit and your word speak to us afresh this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Good Samaritan, who's heard of this phrase? Hands up. Hey, come on. Yeah, everyone's heard of it. Uh, what is, what's the Good Samaritan mean in our society? How do we use that kind of language? What areas have we seen it? This is a, um, not a rhetorical call out. There's a Good Samaritan Lord. Jen, there we go. I'm ignorant of that. What is that? Wonderful. There you go. That's useful information. Put that one away. Yes. Oh, okay. You don't steal drinks from your fridge. <clears throat> any other? Any other areas? That's that's wonderful. Any other areas? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yep, help others around. I mean, we have all sorts of things named after the Good Samaritan, don't we? Can someone call out some? Charity, the Samaritan's Purse, yes. Suicide prevention, yes. Uh, there's like disability care, there's helplines, there's hospitals. I actually found out there's schools named the Good Samaritan School in Hitchinbrook this week in Sydney. Uh, has anyone know, heard of that one? No, I hadn't either. Uh, I did find a news article uh, that was titled, The Good Samaritan is Recovering in Hospital After an Attempt to Stop a Carjacker. So apparently in uh, Rockdale, there was a guy that got stabbed while uh, preventing, and he got called the Good Samaritan. And <clears throat> it is, I think, easy, or perhaps uh, as we have this kind of concept of what a Good Samaritan is and how it might apply, is just to read this and think, okay, I understand. Are oh, you going to change, eh? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, we got put away. Oh, that's better. There we go. Uh, and think, okay, we, we ought to act like the Good Samaritan, uh, love others. Um, that's what God is saying to us. Now, God is saying that to us in this story. But if that's all we get from this passage, then we've kind of missed a big part of the point. And so this morning, I want us just to go through this together uh, and walk through it and get a closer look at what's going on here. Uh, so firstly, we meet a lawyer. Now, this lawyer, he's not a solicitor, hasn't gone to a kind of law school, but he's actually an expert in the law of God. Uh, turns out he's not an expert in the love of God, but we'll find that out later. He's an expert in the law of God, and he comes to Jesus with a really important question. Have a look there, verse 25. Have your Bibles open. I want us to work through that together. A lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's an important question, and I'm, there's no kind of more central uh, question that all of us need to know. Every person needs to know how to answer this question, right? What you know, what do we know? What happens to us when we die? How can I be sure that I'm going to have eternal life? Uh, how can I be sure I'm going to go to heaven, uh, be in God's kingdom and live forever? And how do I make sure I can get that? I do hope that everyone here this morning 
can answer that question. That you know how you can know. You know the answer with confidence and assurance. And if you don't, please listen in and please afterwards chat to the person sitting next to you and say, hey, what do you think the answer to that question is? But the thing is, this lawyer, this expert in God's law, he's not really asking because he wants to know, is he? We get that hint there that he kind of, he's there to put Jesus to the test. It's not as though he wants to genuinely know the answer. It, it's like he wants to kind of trap Jesus. It's like he wants to get him to either not know or say the wrong answer and put him in hot water. It reminds me, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, I have done this once or twice, question time in Parliament, you know, have you guys, you know where they, they, they stand up and they have all the question times and they don't really, they just want to have a question, more of a statement and more of a point to get them to look like an idiot and stupid uh, and to score a point. This is what the lawyer's like as he asks Jesus this question. He's not interested really in knowing how to get to heaven because I think he already thinks he knows. And Jesus is on to him, isn't he? He notices, he doesn't kind of give him the textbook answer. He doesn't say, you know, like the jailer in Acts 2, where it's like, well, if you trust Jesus and you follow him, you'll be saved. No, he knows his motives aren't to be saved but to test. So he says to him, verse 26, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're you're the expert, mate. How about you tell me? (laughs) You know the Old Testament. You tell me. Verse 27, the expert says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. He would have probably got full marks there, wouldn't he? You know, love God with everything you have got and love your neighbour as yourself. He's right. It's your model answer. That's how you would sum up the whole law of God. In fact, Jesus, he gets asked a similar question in Mark 12. You know, he says, what's the most important commandment of all? And how does Jesus answer? Exactly the same. Love God with everything you have. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 there, with the passage we read out. Love your neighbour as yourself. Leviticus 19. Jesus says that sums up the whole Old Testament law. And he says this is what God wants of us. He wants us to love him with everything we have. And out of that love for God, love others as we do love ourselves. Verse 28, Jesus says, yep, you've nailed it. Do this and you will live. Now, that's kind of a bit of a backhanded compliment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I know the answer, Jesus. And he says, yeah, you do. Do it and you'll live. But he's clearly in that moment not doing it, isn't he? Here he has a person in front of him. Is he loving him? No. Uh, does he want to test him, make him look like a yes? But also, not just a person, a neighbour... Here he has the God-man himself. We've just had that mic drop moment a little bit earlier. This is the Christ of God. It's God before him. Now, it's not just this expert in the law that kind of gets the backhanded comment. Each of us, as we reflect on our own lives, we get buried too, don't we? You know, if I think about the last week, well, even not the last week, yes, yes, maybe not even just yesterday, just this morning, I know that I've failed 
to reach these commandments. I've broken these commandments. Because you, you realise the commandments here are not just about not doing things. They're not just negatives, but they're actually about positives. They're positive commands to love God with everything you have and to love others as yourself. So when we don't do the things that we ought to do, we fail. We don't measure up. In context, this is exactly the reason that Luke wants us to know why he's, in 9 verse 51, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He's heading there. He knows that he has to go to his death, to the cross, for those who can't hold up to this standard. He knows everyone fails to be saved this way. Now, the expert in the law, he's not too happy, is he? Well, I don't know if he's not happy, but he's a bit like, oh, man, I've just been done over by the master. Let me try and get him back. And so he, wanting to save face, and he wants to justify himself, he asks another question to Jesus. Verse 29, well, hang on, Jesus. Who then is my neighbour? You know, if we're talking about love and God with everything, yeah, I can get that, but then who is my neighbour that I ought to love as myself? What's behind that question? Well, I think, in other words, how much can I get away with? If I'm to love my neighbour, surely that's not everyone. I mean, that, that, that can't be possible. Because there are some just jerks out there, aren't there? <laughs> there's some people that are really unlovable. And not just the people that I know. You know, there's, there's my people that I know are unlovable, but I have kind of enemies too. I mean, what about the people I don't even know? What about strangers? Do I need to love them when I pass them by? So he's thinking, if I can get the meaning of my neighbour down to as narrow and as little as possible, then maybe perhaps I can still say I'm obeying God. I think this is a classic approach, isn't it? I don't know if you reflect on your own approach to God. You know, how narrow can I get this obedience down to still say that I'm actually obeying God? Shrink the demands. Kids play this game. We play this game all the time, but kids play it too. It's easy to point the finger at someone else, isn't it? <laughs> you know, go clean your room. Well, what do you mean by clean, Dad? You know, is that just get all the Lego and the rubbish off the floor? Uh, is that... Is that kind of divide the clothes, not just cut all the clean and dirty clothes in the washing so that mum has to wash them again? Or do I have to put them away? Do I have to sort them out? What about my bed? You know, what do you mean by clean? See, this approach of reducing down to make something more achievable, approachable, is, the, is always the approach if you think that approaching God is based on what you do. Because we all know at heart, when we're honest with ourselves, that we can't reach God's standard. It's the average Aussie's approach to God, isn't it? He says to us, why should I let you in? You say, well, I haven't murdered anyone. Well, even more, maybe I haven't even hurt anyone. Well, I actually, not that I haven't hurt, I haven't intentionally hurt anyone. Well, well maybe that's not entirely, maybe I haven't intentionally hurt those that I care most about. Well, maybe that's not even true either. <laughs> maybe I haven't even... Well, yeah, I've tried not to hurt people some of the time. Isn't that our approach to God to eternal life? 
It was interesting, the other week I was chatting with, um, uh, we have people that mow the lawn here, to, like from the jail, from Long Bay Jail. It's a one, they do a wonderful job. And we get to um, make coffees and buy them food and chat with them. And we're talking about, um, I can't remember how it came up, but we're, oh, they, they used to have access to um, the Sydney Morning Herald, but they, it only lasted a week because what happened was each of the inmates would look up the other people's history and why they're in, and there was a lots of kind of beatings and floggings and stuff. And uh, they said, you know, because people try to keep that hidden. And I said, you know, well, do you guys share what you've done with others? And they said, oh, yeah, we're fine. Yeah, of course we do. You know, you wouldn't be allowed out if you're bad. You wouldn't be allowed out to mow the lawns like we are if you're bad. Uh, and I was like, okay, who, who are these? Oh, you know, like the, the child sex abuse people, the, the pedophiles. Uh, fascinating. I was like, wow, you're in jail. And you're so happy with how you are compared to others. Your standard always changes depending on who you compare it to. Interesting insight into our hearts. It's not just them though, is it? It's us. We have the same approach to God. And it's not just approach to eternal life, to you know, being in God's forever kingdom. It's kind of an approach where we reduce down in other areas of life too, isn't it? You know, God says, oh, it's great and good for you, good for others if you come to church regularly. You think, what does regularly mean? Surely it's not every week. I don't, I don't want to be that full-on person every Sunday morning. Uh, maybe that's a bit full-on. Maybe half the time's a good thing, you know, 50-50. I don't mind that. What about when it says to, you know, encourage each other daily? What does daily mean? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Really? I'm sure some of the time it is, but I do like to receive some things. God tells us to love my neighbour, but who really is my neighbour? This is the context for this wonderful, famous, beautiful story. And so then we hit the Jesus response where he tells this story in verse 30. He says, a man sets off to Jericho. Now, from Jerusalem to Jericho, well-known, dangerous, narrow road. It's about 27 kilometres away. It's like walking from here to Liverpool. This man, he sets off on this dangerous road. And sure enough, he finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. They stripped him, beat him and left him dead. Then we get these three people walk past this man on the side of the, the road, all with an opportunity to care, to love this person, to look out for this neighbour. So we get the first person, the priest, you know, he's the Jew of Jews, he's as religious as you can get. What does he do? He spots him. I'm sure he tries not to make eye contact with him, creates space moves to the other side of the road and walks past. Then we get the second person, the Levite. What is the, the Levite? He's also served in the temple. Uh, and what does he do? Again, he deliberately walks to the other side of the road, creates space between himself and this half-dead man. Now, I'm sure they could have thought of reasons why. 
I'm sure they could go through the logical reasons in their head, you know, why I can't help this person in this time at this moment. Uh, you know, for a priest, if he touched him, he, he, could, he would be, un, he would be uh, ceremonially unclean. And so I'm, think, I'm sure he's thinking, you know, for me to honour God as a priest, uh, I, you know, I, the Bible really actually doesn't allow me to care for this person. Doesn't that sound horrible when you say it out loud? Using your love for God to stop you from loving people, it's pretty ugly. Maybe perhaps they're just thinking, oh, this, this is a long road. It's dangerous. If I try to help him, I'm probably going to get jumped as well. Um, you know, our excuses, they might be different to the priest's excuses. You know, I often think, why do people always call me at the wrong time? <laughs> Have you ever had that thought? It's always when I've got places to be, deadlines to meet. I always think, I've got plenty of other available time that they could have called me, but they always call me at the wrong time. You know, I don't have the capacity or the resources that will actually do anything anyway. It's not my responsibility. I don't know what to do. They'll probably just waste whatever help I try and give them. Have you got those excuses? I'm sure you do. Then we get to verse 33 where we get this third person and he sees the man. He's not like the first two. What does he do? He kind of bandages him. He stops goes towards him, bandages him up, oil, looks after him kind of like his own first aid kit, puts him on his animal, loves him, sacrificially at a cost to him, takes him to an inn. There's no hospitals those days. Uh, the two denarii there, that's like the equivalent of 24 nights accommodation. So it's not like a coffee. <laughs> he go, oh, yeah, I'll just give you a, a coffee amount. No, it's costly. He's providing accommodation for him. And the real kicker, to this story isn't just how much this man loved this man on the side of the road, but actually that it was the Samaritan who loved him. You can imagine if you're a Jewish person there, you're thinking, oh no, don't make the Samaritan the hero. Don't make the Samaritan the hero. Don't make, oh, what are you doing, Jesus? Why is that? You probably already know this. Because Samaritans and Jews were like arch enemies. They hated each other. Uh, Samaria was between Judea and Galilee, uh, and the history is they were part of the nation Israel, but when it divided, when the northern tribe left and the Assyrians wiped it out in 722, this is a bit of history for you, they essentially took them off and mixed the, all the races up. And so the Samaritans were in a mixed bloodline, their religious um, was mixed, and essentially the Jews thought of them as kind of your mongrel dogs, whereas they were your thoroughbreds. They, you know, they, they had mixed blood. We have pure thoroughbred. And so they would often hate, they, they hated each other so much. It was mutual. It was a mutual hatred. And so if you were to go north, you wouldn't go through Samaria. You'd actually cross the other side of the Jordan to try to have nothing to do with the Samaritans. I, I imagine it's probably something similar like today with the Palestinians and the Jews today, enemies. But this is why this story is so powerful. It's so genius. Because who would the expert of the law identify with? There's no way he's going to identify this man. He's, he's, he's the priest and the Levite. They're probably from the same school. 
You know, I'm, we're old boys. We're mates. We've been going to the same pub for dinner for years. But who is it that's the hero? It's the Samaritan. See, Jesus, what is he doing to this man? Well, he's holding up a mirror to his heart, isn't he? He's showing him how ugly his heart is. And he switches it. Not who, who is my neighbour, but who can I be a neighbour to? See, when verse 36, Jesus asks him, well, which man proved to be a neighbour? The lawyer responds, verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. Do you feel how buried this man is? He can't even say this. this the, he can't even say the Samaritan's name. So deep this hatred depersonalized him. The Samaritan is the enemy who at grace cost loved this man. This man comes to justify himself before Jesus and he finds himself condemned. He wanted to reduce, lower what God required in the law and, and define his neighbours closely and small. But God flips it and says, no. You want to love God until you love everyone in your proximity. And what's Jesus say to him in conclusion, verse 37? Go and do likewise. Go and love. Be a neighbour to all around. Now I have three kind of things that struck me this week as I'm preparing this. I feel like this is a challenge to us as a church, isn't it? We, I think, and have experienced love from you guys. We, we, we care perhaps well for those that we know in our midst that are like us. But how good are we at loving those not like us? Our enemies. You know, I, I don't know. Who, who are your enemies? It's a, who are those that are different? Strangers, people that you do. You know, is it, you know, it's either the far right activists or the far left activists, isn't it? Maybe it's the, the older or the younger person. Maybe, you know, it's that self-entitled silver spoon child. How do you go at loving them, at caring for them? And it's just so easy for us to be like the lawyer, isn't it? Self-justifying our own actions. Not my responsibility, not my capacity. You know, um, one of the passages that I've often used to think about, it's complex, right? We're not God, so we can't do everything. Can we? Well, maybe some of you can. But we can't. We can't, we can't love all people at all time in, in the same way. And one of the passages, you know, which is in Galatians 6 verse 10, do you guys know this? Can you flip over with me? Have a look at Galatians 6 10. So this is a passage that you often use to justify your, my own priorities. And so um, he's writing to the Galatians and he said, So then, just as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, I would use that 
to justify my limited priorities and say I want to be particularly careful and do good to those of the faith. What's, the, what's it actually saying? I've, what I've done there is I've ignored the first half, haven't I? I've gone, okay, I don't need to care for others. I don't need to do good to everyone. Isn't that the irony of a rebuke to my own heart? I know that it's hard. I know we don't have endless possibilities. We're not God. We don't have endless time, money and capacity. But the point is that each of us, God wants us in every day that God gives us is to be a neighbour to those around us. If you know you have been loved by Jesus, then you will want to. This sends me to Jesus because I, I know how much I've failed to do this. I turn to him and thank him that I don't have to justify myself but that he justifies me. He gives me the gift of eternal life and then I ask him to help me to be a good neighbour. Friends, how are we going at caring for those God-given needs of those right in front of us every day? Um, it's interesting reflecting on this point. One of the reasons uh, sociologists think and talk about why the early church grew so quickly uh, is because whenever a plague came, all the doctors, they would run <laughs> to save themselves. But it was Christians who would stay to care for their own sick, but they also care for others around them, a great cost to themselves. There was no institutions or hospitals. Um, but really it's this heart where, and this Christian culture that I think hospitals have grown out of, isn't it? I care for the sick. I, I care for the, the needy. And it's not surprising that we have hospitals called this because it's a right response to care for all people of all, all nations and, and from everyone. So whenever you see a hospital or a name, the Good Samaritan, thank God for the gospel. Thank God. Now, that's the first reflection. Secondly, I think if we only apply it as we're called to love others, then we, we've missed the point of what being a disciple of Jesus is. See, equally, we've got to think about the context, don't we? We've got to think about the context. See, Jesus, he's heading for Jerusalem. And the point is that we can't love God and love others as he asks us to. The point is, when we, you ought not to be that proud, self-justifying man. We need Jesus to walk that path that he's going to Jerusalem to die for us. Because we don't reach the mark. And so while Jesus wants us to love like the Samaritan, I think we also ultimately to see that Jesus is the Good Samaritan here. See, there's what this Good Samaritan does, there's so many similarities in what Jesus does, isn't there? You know, he enters into his own world that he made and when he sees us without hope, without God, broken, um, prideful, self-justifying on the side of the road, what does he do? He doesn't ignore our need. He doesn't walk to the other side of the road, doesn't leave the universe. No, he heads to the cross to pay the price of our disobedience. He, his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. He cancelled our debt once for all. He carried our sins onto the cross. 
while you and I, his enemies, Jesus died for us. I think Jesus is a lot like this Samaritan here, isn't he? It's, this Samaritan is a small version of the picture we get at, of Jesus and his death. We're not the Samaritan first and foremost. First and foremost, we're the man on the side of the road. We're the man in need of Jesus. We need him because he needs to do something about our failure. We need him to walk that road to the cross for our sake. And gosh, aren't you thankful he did? Lastly, I think let's not fall into kind of minimal tick box Christianity. Let's not, you know, you know, you know what I mean by that? What God wants of us for our good, for his glory and for the good of others. Let's not just think, what's the minimum I can get away with? I don't know how that list looks like for you. I think for me, as I think about it, it's about when I spend time with people, I better make that call to catch up with them because that will be the minimum I can do for them. I'm not sure what it looks like. It might be your personal walk with God, your personal life of enjoying, repenting, delighting in him. It might be your approach to loving others, just doing the minimum required, only doing it with those that you love and don't annoy you, but ignoring those who are hard. I think my heart is much more like the expert in the law than the Samaritan. And I thank God that he died for my sins. But now as I trust him, his death in my place, and I follow him, I have his spirit, I ask him to help me to change my approach from being minimal to maximal. So show me how to have a bigger heart for God and for his people and for the world that he made, to love others, not someone that just ticks boxes. The Good Samaritan is so much more than just being good. (laughs) So far richer, richer and deeper news for us, isn't it? It's such good news. Let me pray that God would transform our hearts. Uh, Heavenly Father, you know the person that we wish we were like, but you know the reality of our own hearts. And we thank you that you know this and that you died for us. And thank you that as Jesus walked to the cross, his death justifies us. And Father, we pray that with trusting and following you that you give us the spirit that we would love you with all our heart soul and mind and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves please do this transforming work in our hearts amen